It's cold outside, so take a break and find a spot on a frozen lake to drill a hole and drop a line and fish for love that's real divine. One look, you're saying, holy mackerel, and now you're caught, hook, line, and tackle. But love's not always nice and sunny. Your walleyes wander, and that ain't funny. So set your drag, it might get choppy, especially if your love life's kinda crappie. We'll boost up your morale a bit. Listen up, just for the halibut. The northern pike is freshly cooked, so hang on tight, it's time for Hooked. Well, hey everyone. We just wanted you to know that today's message is covering a topic that might be a little too mature for some of our younger listeners. So if you have elementary age kids, you might want to take advantage of our great kids services happening right now at every campus. Oh yeah. The birds and the bees are gonna be flying around up in here. You see, when mommies and daddies love each other very much, they avoid scarring their children with more information than their little ears can handle. So take the kiddos where the content is always rated G. Now, don't worry. Nothing's gonna get very graphic. We just want to make sure you don't get surprised by some uncomfortable conversation if you're not ready for it. Mm -mm. This groove is slow and not too spicy. But if you're not ready for the talk, you better run and not walk. I mean, if nothing else, you can grab a free set of earplugs for your kids. Oh yeah, Eagle Brook will not be held responsible for long-term damage. Let me tell you something. Junior has a little something to ask We hope you're understanding We hope that you flex Cause this week in our message We're talking about A sensitive subject that will remain unnamed for now Welcome, everybody, to all of our campuses meeting throughout the Twin Cities today. So glad you could make it to church. I also want to welcome those of you who are watching online, wherever you can join us. We know that this is your connection to us and us to you. And that little slow jam thing even has me concerned about this talk a little bit. But have no fear. We'll be just fine, I think. Uh, before we dive into this topic, though, I have a financial update to bring to you. It's really, really great news. We 
Our fiscal year runs from July to July, so we're halfway through. This was our budget. We are 6% over our budget at this point in, in the year. This is just fantastic news. By the way, what this will help us do, yeah, this will help us uh, solve our problem in Blaine. They have overcrowding every weekend over in Blaine. We'd like to build a, build a bigger auditorium there, so that'll help us get there quicker and then also put a campus down uh, south of the cities here, Apple Valley area. So all that just is great, great news. I also have another thing to bring to you. Uh, we've been talking about online church, bringing our entire service worship, the worship piece and the speaking piece, you know, the Twin Cities, the state, the world, and beyond. I guess there's not much beyond the world, but uh, anyway, our goal was $5 million, and we're at 4.6, which is, again, fantastic news. We're going to get there. And I just want to say, for those of you who give, for those of you who give, you, you understand our mission. We're trying to reach as many people for Christ, and there's some sacrifice in that. I just, I just applaud you. I just am so grateful to those of you who get that and are so generous with your, with your resources. But we had a series called Hooked, and four of us guys thought of this series Way back in May, we were in a cabin together, we were brainstorming, thought of this series, and we liked, really liked the title Hooked, but we know it was very close to Hook Up, and we didn't want people thinking about that in church. And we liked the titles Keeper and Not Biting, but then someone said, you got to be careful where you dangle your bait, and we know we didn't want to say that in church, but, <laughs> but we did want to talk about dating, marriage, sex, and divorce. Because those four topics will affect your life more than anything. More than money, your career, education, politics. Those four topics will affect our lives more than anything else. And today's message is called Not Biting because while sex between a man and a woman is one of God's greatest gifts in a marriage, for a lot of marriages, the fish simply aren't biting. But that's not what God intends in marriage. Uh, look what the Bible says about marriage relationship. He says, rejoice, rejoice in the wife of your youth. <clears throat> may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Bet you didn't think that was in the Bible, did you? You ought to read your Bibles. Good stuff in the Bible, I'm telling you. <laughs> hey, there's three words here I want you to notice. Rejoice, he says. Rejoice, satisfy, be intoxicated. This is God's plan for the marriage relationship. And if you've ever been in love, you know that feeling. My wife, Laurie, and I were 15 years old when we first met. She was so beautiful, just a knockout. She still is. So amazing with her long hair, dark hair that fell onto her shoulders. Every kid at Nishanik High School wanted a date with Laurie Thompson, but nobody could break the ice. I mean, she turned me down four times with lame excuses. Just wanted, you didn't want no part of me. Until she just finally caved in. I kept asking. She finally caved in, went to the junior class play. My dad drove us. And after that play, she turned me down again and again. So I called her, but she wouldn't answer. I rode my motorcycle over to her house, but she wouldn't come out. I don't know why. I mean, look at those legs. I waited for her after her tennis matches. She simply completely ignored me. Her family had a cottage in upstate New York, three hours, where we live, three hours north of where we live. And that summer, one weekend, she was there with her family. I found out where this cottage was, and I drove all the way up uninvited <laughs> to see her. 
She was sunbathing down on their dock. When I walked up unannounced, she was absolutely appalled and shocked. She thought, who is this guy? But slowly she began to warm up to me. She let me walk her down the hallway at school. She answered her phone once. She, uh, <laughs> she would let me sit, sit with her on her back porch. And we didn't hold hands. We didn't touch. We didn't do anything like that until one summer night. We'd been watching television together, and it was time for me to leave. And we stood for a couple of moments under the front porch light, out on her porch there. I'll never forget this moment. She'd never been kissed before. And I was so nervous. She was wearing a powder blue Oxford shirt, sleeves rolled up at the cuff. We were 16. And when I kind of moved toward her, she pulled back. But then she let me kiss her. And it was the best quarter second of my life. I mean, I couldn't believe it. I was a Baptist preacher's kid. And she was an Irish Catholic girl. And when our lips touched, I'm telling you, it was scandalous. <laughs> if our parents knew about that. I floated home like E.T. on my motorcycle. Just <laughs> unbelievable. I, all I wanted to do after that was kiss her. And kiss her some more, kiss her some more. All I wanted was to be with her because, gang, we were, we were in love. I, we had so much fun that summer, but what I'm about to say to all of you is so, so important. That fun feeling only happens once. And it's never the same after that. You know, the feeling that comes from that first kiss or the first time she falls asleep on your shoulder, there's nothing like it. And it only happens once. Uh, Lori became my high school sweetheart, and seven years later, we got married. We've been married now for 37 years, and as I thought about this topic of not biting, you have to understand that in marriage, your relationship changes from all I want to do to, is kiss her to actually building a life with her. You know, from this wild passion to deep friendship and companionship. Now, there's still passion, but it changes. And if you don't understand that, you can make the awful mistake of giving up on your marriage because you thought you weren't having enough fun. Laura and I still have great fun, but gang, fun is momentary. Fun is a great golf shot. It's a bungee jump. It doesn't last. Last week, we, we took a long walk on a frozen golf course with our crazy dog, Blue. And we've taken hundreds of walks together in our life, and as, as the sun warmed our backs, it, it wasn't exciting, it wasn't thrilling, but it was so good and so bonding and safe. It was just us, and I, I'll tell you what, I, I'll take us over fun every single time. In the Song of Solomon, the wife gives a definition of the relationship. She says, he's my lover and my friend. Isn't that a great picture, beautiful picture of marriage? Don't raise any hands, but how many of you would say that your spouse is your best friend? And you know, if I could be blunt, if you think a different person is going to do it for you, you're just wrong about that. You know, that'll be fun for about six months until the ex shows up or their kids show up. 
or you discover that behind the makeup and skinny jeans are the same blemishes, morning breath, and annoying habits that every other human being has. Here's what I know about some marriages here today. You just kind of tolerate each other. And statistics show that about 60% of you are frustrated or failing in the lover part. The truth is, every single marriage struggles. Every marriage has issues and struggles, but some are on the verge of collapse. I read recently an email from a woman She said this, I'm trying to understand what's happened to my marriage. What I thought was a sure thing has fallen apart. Being married isn't at all what I thought it would be. I know that a lot of people have problems, but I was sure things would be different for us. Before we got married, it seemed like we had so much in common, but now it doesn't seem like we agree on anything. I feel ripped off. He feels the same way. Last night he told me that he feels like he's the victim of a bait-and-switch scam. We're both bitter. We're angry. Do you think maybe the person God wanted me to marry is still out there somewhere? I'm constantly comparing him to others. All I know is that I'm deeply disappointed. I don't know what to do. But I know I can't live like this. And that's where some of you are. A long way from being in love. And I know it feels desperate. I know it feels hopeless, but as dire as your marriage or family might be, gang, there's hope for every single marriage here, every relationship here. But it won't get better by just ignoring the problems and pretending they don't exist. Some of you need counseling. You need to sign up this week. You need to call our office and get connected with a good counselor. All of you should be reading about relationships and how marriage works. I wrote four four chapters on this in my book, Get Wise. One chapter is called Wise Sex. Another is Wise Intimacy. Should be required reading for every person here. But let me show you today how, how one couple restored their passion in their marriage because they were struggling. It's from the Song of Solomon, and the husband, I love this, the husband takes the lead, and I want you to see now how, what he says to his wife, and some of these thoughts are from Kyle Eidelman, great pastor friend out of Louisville. But the first verse, he says, how beautiful your sandaled feet, O princess daughter. He admires her feet. Let me pra- paraphrase this a little bit. It's, your feet look good in those shoes. I I like the shoes you're wearing. Now, I've been married 37 years, and I don't think I've ever said to my wife, I really like how your feet look in those shoes. I've never said that. What I usually say is, you know, is that another pair of shoes? (laughs) They, They look the same as your other pair, and the other pair next to those and next to those, it looks exactly the same to me. But Solomon says, how beautiful are your sandaled feet. And what he's doing is he's noticing her. He's noticing her. One of the most romantic things you can do, guys, is notice your wife. 
It means to pay attention. And I, I'm, I'm terrible at this. I don't notice things about my wife. Actually, I don't notice things about anybody or anything. I just go through life with blinders on. But, but Laurie will be wearing what I think is a brand new shirt. And I'll say, new shirt? She'll say, I've worn it eight times. So, oh, <laughs> I never saw it. I mean, one of the most romantic things I can do is notice something about my wife. But, but here's an even bigger problem. Even, even if I notice something nice about her shoes, hair, smile, or how she handled the kids, I have a hard time saying it. I've got this little pride deal. And I notice something, and it's so nice, and I just can't say it. Instead of saying, man, I really like your hair. My thought is, I wonder how much that cost. I mean, good grief. And when she tells me, I'm like, holy cow. And my point is, it's not natural for me to say nice things. It's not natural for me to say nice things to my wife. I have to work at it. Because in order to restore the romance in your marriage, you have to do some things that feel unnatural to you. It's going to require effort. You've got to say and do some things that you don't naturally want to do if you want to restore the romance. Next verse, Solomon says, your graceful legs are like jewels. The work of a craftsman's hand. So he starts at her feet and he works his way up to her legs. And here's what he's doing. This is so important. He's helping her see that she's beautiful. Because most women don't think they're beautiful. Most women are insecure about this. Author Pete Wilson says, on average, women have 13 negative thoughts about their body every single day. And if a woman thinks she's not beautiful, it's almost impossible for her to generate feelings of intimacy toward her husband. So Solomon, in his wisdom, helps her see that she's beautiful. Because when she woke up in the morning and stood in front of the mirror, she did not look at her legs and said, Ooh, these legs are like fine jewels from a craftsman's. She didn't say that. She went right to the 13 or more things she hates about her body. So Solomon reminds her how beautiful she is, and this is incredibly romantic. I mean, she will float through the day thinking, he loves my legs. I'm telling you guys, a single compliment like that can only lead to good things. Verse 2 uh, he was doing so well. And your navel is a round goblet that never lacks blended wine. Your belly is a heap of wheat. Okay, guys, just, just a hint here. If, if, you're trying, if you're trying to affirm your wife's beauty, just never say this word, okay? Never, never even mention it. 
And if it happens to accidentally slip out like your belly, never say this word, <laughs> keep, in association. Those two words should never occur together. But, but here's, here's what I want to say the, to the guys and gals here. He's using metaphoric language. He was doing so well, and then he gets confident, but then he went too far. And we guys do that. You know, we think we're doing well, we get con- and then we say something totally stupid. But here's what I would say to the wives, the gals here. When we try, even when we say it wrong, appreciate the effort. When we compare your belly to a heap of wheat, appreciate the fact that we tried. Because when we're trying new habits, it's going to be awkward sometimes. We're going to say some stuff that doesn't seem right. Give us a break. We're trying. We need a little grace. Verse 3. Do I even dare read (laughs) verse 3 in church? Oh, boy. Your breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. I can't believe we said the B word twice in church, but it's biblical. There's some good stuff in the Bible here. Next verse real quick. Your neck, your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are like pools of hejbon. Your nose is, again, he's, he's, you should never use nose and tower in the same sentence, but he's trying, he's trying He's making an effort, and he's working his way up, just compliment after compliment. Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel. Your hair is like royal tapestry. And it's incredibly romantic until she just melts. By the way, compliments will do that. I like your shirt. You look great in those jeans. I've always loved your eyes. I love being with you. And if you can't say it, write it. Homework for everybody here. Just one compliment toward your spouse this week. If you can't say it, write it. And then in seven, chapter 7, verse 11, look how she responds. She just melts. She says, come, my love. Let us go out to the fields and spend the night among the wildflowers. She responds by making a plan. Let's go out to the countryside. I've got a sitter for the kids. Meet me at the Marriott. (laughs) And wives, what I want to say to you is so vitally important. What she's communicating to him is that he's wanted. That he's wanted. And then she... She goes on and she says, let's spend the night and see whether the vines have, this is so romantic, see whether the vines have budded, whether the blossoms have opened, whether the pomegranates are in flower. And you understand she's using figurative language, expressing her full sensuality to him. And finally she says, and there I will give you my love. At our door is every delicacy, and I love this, the new as well as the old. For I've stored them up for you, my lover. I love this phrase, the new as well as the old. It means that they've been married for a long time. But they're discovering new ways to love and satisfy each other, and you need to do that. 
new ways among the older ones because you can rediscover the romance in your marriage, but gang, you got to say some things. You got to notice some things. You got to compliment each other instead of nag at each other. Some of you will need the help of a counselor, like I've said. But don't settle. Don't give up. Don't settle for just living together like roommates. And so what I want to do in the final few minutes is give you just two additional ways to increase the intimacy in your marriage. And and this is so fundamental. Sexual intimacy is a direct result of relational intimacy. So how is your relationship? How is your relating skills? Because sexual intimacy is a direct result of how your relationship is doing. Laura and I went on a date recently to Sam's Club, (laughs) which at age 59 counts. Stores that don't count are Cabela's and Fleet Farm (laughs) for her. So we were on a date at Sam's Club, but I was in a hurry. So as soon as I walked in, I said, no, let's not make this a marathon. Which means no dilly-dallying, no drifting. In and out, get our stuff, go home. So we're doing so great. Coming down the home stretch when suddenly she disappeared. Uh, She drifted down the potato chip aisle and I lost her. So So I kind of yelled for her and I said out loud, where are you? Where'd you go? And I said it with some edge. Like she had done something wrong, and what's worse is that other people noticed and turned to look at me, and there was an Eaglebrook couple checking out, and they turned and they looked at me, and I, oh, jeez. <laughs> and my wife came back, and she said, why did you yell at me? And I knew in that moment that I had wounded her a little. And I realized how wrong I was. Stupid. We checked out our groceries in silence, and I knew there was a gap in our relationship. And because of pride, sometimes in those moments, I'm really stubborn, and I refuse to apologize. But this time, I got in the car, and I said, Lori, I'm really sorry for yelling like that. I don't want to be like that. And she simply said, thank you. And then she reached over and she put her hand on top of mine. And that was the beginning of restoration. The thing is, that could have gone south real fast. I could have continued to wrongly blame her in the car. She could have rejected my apology. And instead of moving toward each other, we could have gone to bed angry and hurt. And so many couples do this. They dig in. Someone says something, somebody gets offended, and there's pride, and there's arrogance, and there's selfishness, and I'm going to pay you back. And even though you're married and in the same bed, you feel miles apart. Somebody has to move. Because sexual intimacy, I'm telling you, is a direct result of relational intimacy. And gang, it's in the little things. Oh, this is so important. It's in the little things. Marriage expert John Gottman says it this way. He says, many people think the secret to restoring romance is a candlelit dinner or an exotic vacation somewhere. This is so important. But the real secret, I'm telling you, is to turn toward each other in the little ways. In the little ways 
every single day. It's when you walk through the door at night and your spouse says, how was your day? And he or she says it with some lift in their voice. Gottman calls that a bid. That person's throwing a bid to you. It's a gesture. If you just grunt or don't answer, that's a negative bid that hurts your relationship. But if you say, good, how was your day? That's a positive bid that warms the relationship is. And I can't tell you how important this is. Your marriage comes down to the little exchanges that occurs every single day. A smile, a touch, a word, a nod, a hug, turning toward each other when you speak. Gottman says it this way. The mere turning your body toward that person when they speak to you is like money in the intimacy bank. And I never used to do this. Lori would say something to me. She would engage me, throw a bid out, and I would just grunt. Or not even turn to her, not even look at her. And it was killing our intimacy. And so I began thinking of, you know, how do we relate to our, our dogs? If you have a dog, how do you relate to your dog? I mean, you ought to see me with my dog. Today, I'll, I'll come home from church, and he'll greet me at the door. And I'll, oh, boy, boy, you're such a good boy. <laughs> and he's a bad boy. But I'll say, oh, Bluey, and I'll fall. Bluey, come on, boy, come on, come on, come on. Such a bad, such a good boy. Bluey's such a good boy. And we have no problem, you know, saying these silly, embarrassing, high-pitched things to our pets. Turn a fraction of that toward your spouse. And intimacy will grow. Because sexual intimacy, I'm telling you, it's all about relationship. Okay. Second thing, build your character. Build your character. It's so important. I love what Solomon's wife says. She says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is more delightful than wine. This is not a peck on the cheek. She's inviting him to a deep kiss, making out, really. And the question is, why does she invite him to do this? Why does she invite him in? And this is such a great verse, for your name. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. Guys here today, she loves him because of his name, his character. And it's not just her. All the women love that about him. What exceptional women find most attractive in men is not their body. For most of us, that's great news, guys. <laughs> what exceptional, exceptional women find most attractive in men is not their body, not their achievements. It's their strength of character. I have many imperfections, many imperfections. But Laurie said, what drew me to her in high school and still attracts me to her today is my character. I'm not perfect. But my faith in Christ, my work ethic, my sexual morality... I mentioned sexual morality because we live in a culture that is morally upside down. And it's destroying our culture. 
Sexual immorality is destroying our marriages, our children, and our families. And honest people know it. Our culture has taken this most private, sacred part of who we are and has exploited it everywhere. Hooking up is the college norm that follows people into their 20s and 30s and puts them at risk for any hope for a successful marriage. And here's why sexual immorality is so damaging. The Bible teaches that when you are sexually intimate with another person, you become one with that person spiritually and emotionally. So you're not just touching somebody's body, you're touching somebody's soul. It's that sacred. So the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, it says, He who unites himself with a woman becomes one with her, for it is written, the two become one. It's not just a physical act. It is a deeply emotional and spiritual act that causes two people to become one. And when this gets violated over and over, what you end up with are people walking around with torn souls wondering why they're not connecting, why there's woundedness there, why they can't achieve intimacy. It's because their soul's been torn. And gang, those tears can be healed to a degree. I know a lot of us have failed in this area. You can gain healing with God's help. There's forgiveness available to every single person here. God loves you. He loves every person who's hearing these words. He loves you. He wants to redeem you, restore you. But if that's your lifestyle, here's what I would say to you. Don't keep hurting yourself. I know for some of you, not having sex outside of marriage sounds completely insane because everybody you know is doing it. Hooking up for fun is just accepted. But I can't tell you how good and deep the oneness is in marriage, in my own marriage, because we kept the most private and sacred part of our lives exclusively pure for each other. There's no wounds. There's no regrets. There's no jealousies or comparisons. Neither of us lie awake at night with a secret. There's no ex-lovers, no live-ins that we have in mind, just two people who became one in their soul. And I'm telling you, that not only continues to bless our lives in such a rich way, it blesses our children's lives, our friends' lives, and I believe our staff and our church. God said it this way. What I have brought together, let nobody separate. Because that's what lifelong marriages and families are made of. So I love Solomon's wife, what she says. She says, it's your name. It's like poured out perfume. So guys here today, how's your name? How's your reputation in this area? Are you known as a man of moral and sexual integrity? Gals, are you? Increasingly, women are misbehaving in this area as well, and it, it boggles my mind because of the damage it does to one's soul. And I, I bring this up today not so that your life will be a drag, but God wants to protect you from all of the pain and loss associated with sexual sin. He wants to bless your life. 
He wants to set you up for a great future. If you were my son, if you were my daughter, I would say don't damage yourself by giving the most sacred, intimate part of who you are to someone who's not your spouse. And we actually did tell our kids that. And they have told us back they are so grateful that they were able to bring their purity to their marriage and their spouses did the same thing. And what a gift. By the way, 35% of all teenagers today are making a commitment to sexual abstinence, saving themselves for marriage. Those 35% are the smart ones. I applaud you. You are making a decision that will benefit your entire life. Final word, if you're a person who has failed in this area or you continue to fail in this area, here's what I would say to you. Get on a different path. Confess your sin. God is waiting for you. Repent. And for the next year, stay sexually pure. For the next two or three years, or however long it takes, demonstrate to God and yourself that you're going to be a different person from here on out. You're going to commit yourself to personal and sexual integrity so that, so that God can bless your life and lead you into the kind of relationships and maybe even marriage that'll bring incredible joy to you. I really care about your lives, every one of you. I really do. I want life to go well for you. This is an area that you gotta get square. You gotta be honorable before God. Hey, as we close today at all six campuses and watching online, we, uh, our nation has a new president. And no matter what you think about who Donald Trump is, the Bible instructs us to pray for our leaders. And so I want to close today at all campuses. If you just stay seated real quick, and we're going to bow and pray and just lift our new president up to God. Will you do that with me? Father, thank you so much for your forgiveness, your grace, which is available to every human being. God, I thank you for your word. It's true. When we hear it, something happens inside of us that says, yeah, that's it. I want that. God, I pray for every marriage here today. Some are doing great, but some aren't doing so well. God, I pray for that marriage or those marriages that are on the edge of of just losing it. I pray that today a stake will be put in the ground and they'll give it another shot. They'll get the help they need. Give it one more shot for their good. The good of their own soul. good of their own family. God, I pray that you'll restore marriages all over the Twin Cities, country, and world. And Father, now we lift up our our new president, Donald Trump, and his family. And Lord, I pray that you will give him wisdom from above. I pray that he will feel the weight of his responsibility and that it will be so heavy that he will just look to you. God, if he's not a believer in Christ, I pray that he will, through this Experience become a firm believer in you, Jesus, and that he will find his strength, his forgiveness, his hope in you. 
I pray for all of the cabinet members and the people that he's surrounding himself with. I just pray, God, that you will grant them wisdom, your wisdom. We love our country. It's, it's, it's in struggling in many areas, but God, we do believe that it's a great country founded on biblical principles, and we long for that again. So we offer him and our country up to you in this moment today. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great afternoon, everybody.